Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir and Chaim Oharan. Today we start a new section called Mailas HaHespoiridus. The, the benefit, the incredible benefit of Hespoiridus. Hespoiridus is a term that's used in different Sforim and it has different connotations. The term Hespoiridus, the way Rabbeinus I'll use it, means personal prayer to Hashem. When a person is alone, the word bodod means alone, in complete privacy, <clears throat> in your own words. There's a chapter, on Likud, there's a number of chapters on Likutimoran where it's mentioned, but especially in the second half of Likutimoran, chapter 25, is the chapter where Rabbeinazal gives a very clear definition regarding what his poetidus is. And again, it means a person setting aside substantial time, not 30 seconds or a minute, preferably an hour. Rabbeinazal spoke about building up to a level where a person could do this for an hour, 60 minutes, alone in privacy with Hashem, speaking to Hashem in your own words and expressing every type of gratitude that a person would want to express to Hashem, apologizing for all the things that I need to apologize to Hashem for, and pleading with Hashem for all the things that I feel I need. Baruch Niyas both spiritually, in terms of coming close to Hashem, and in the materialistic world, think health, parnasa, a home, everything, all the things that a person needs. <clears throat> the first paragraph here is labeled Tuf Lamed Vav, 436, Rav Nosanzal writes, when Rav spoke to me about the topic of Hispiridus and speaking personally to Hashem in this way, I spoke to Rav and I said to him, but the Torah teaches us that a person has free choice. So how, how can I ask Hashem to help me overcome my temptations or to help me become more religious, become closer to Hashem? Isn't that a matter just of Bechira, of my free choice? Especially since the Gemara says, Hakoil bidei shamayim, chutz shamayim. That everything is within the hands of Hashem, except regarding a person's fear of Hashem. That's up to the person. That's the impression you get from the wording in the Gemara. And Rav Nosanzal says, Rabbi Nosanzal didn't really give me a clear response to this question, but rather, he answered sort of in a matter-of-fact way, saying, anyway, meaning, you have this question, still, this is what you need to do. Meaning, that even though I can't really explain to you completely exactly why this should work and how it works, when the impression you get from some places in the Torah is that it's totally up to the person, still, this is, what a, this is what a person needs to do. And Rav Nosanzal says, I felt that I couldn't question further, I couldn't ask more, because I realized that this question could be asked regarding all of the tefillahs that our rabbis have given us, regarding tshuva, regarding coming close to Hashem. In the Shmon Esrei, in the daily Shmon Esrei, we say to Hashem, Hashivenu avinu l'sorasecha, we ask Hashem, Hashem, please bring me back to the Torah. Hashem, please bring me close to prayer. And in Uvalet Sion, we say, That He, Hashem, will open our hearts to His Torah. And Hashem should place into our hearts respect for Hashem and love for Hashem. So there are many prayers that we have that go back to the Anshei Knesset official prayers that we say every day or on holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur especially, that you could ask the same question about this. And, and Rabbi Nezal made it clear that regardless, this is the right thing to do. Now, interesting, in Likuti Alochah's Choshen Mishpat, the second the second book of Chosh Mishpat of Likutei Halachos in Hilches Pikodoin Halacha Gimel. 
there's a major piece that Rav Nassim elaborates on this, starting from paragraph Zion and going through paragraph Tess, where Rav Nassim goes into the topic of Hispoidus in detail. And one of the things that he says there, he speaks about based on chapter 64 in Likutei Maran, where Rav Nassim says that there are two types of questions that people have regarding Hashem. There are questions that we can, ex- we can answer rationally, and there are questions that cannot necessarily be answered rationally. And Rabbeinu Zalter explains that this goes back to the creation of the world. When Hashem created the world, there were two major issues. Originally, there was only Hashem. There was only the infinite light of Hashem. That's it. In order for creation to take place, Hashem had to vacate Hashem had to kaviochel, as if we say, pull to the sides and create a vacant area in the middle in which creation could take place. Because otherwise, there's, there's nowhere where the creation could take place. This is the terminology that's used in Sifrei Kabbalah. It speaks about a cholol haponi, ha- haponui, a vacant space, which is where creation took place. In addition, we're told that there was another issue, that when Hashem first made an attempt to bring His infinite light into vessels, the vessels shattered. The vessels couldn't contain the light. There was something called Shvira Sakelim, whereby the vessels shattered. So that when vessels shatter, these vessels that had light in them, when they shatter, what you're left with is broken vessels with light inside of them. Just like when you have a a glass of of liquid, of any type of liquid, and the glass breaks with the liquid inside of it, on the floor you have the broken glass and you have the liquid that was in there. So Rabbeinu Sal explains there, those questions that come from Shvira Sakelin, those questions, there is light there, so those questions can be answered through Chachma, through knowledge, through wisdom. As the Mishnah says in Pirkei Ovois, Veda mashetoshuv lapikoiris. No, understand and study the answers that need to be given to an apikoiris, to a person who denies the existence of Hashem, etc. Whereas those questions that come from the cholol haponui, those questions that come from that other area where we're told kaviochel Hashem vacated the area, those questions cannot be answered currently, cannot be answered in this world. Rabbein Azal elaborates on this over there in chapter 64 on Likut Imran, and there are several chapters on Likut Halachas that elaborate and clarify this, one of them being this halacha, Hilchas Pikodoin Halacha Gimel. And there, Rav Nosanzal expounds on this question regarding Hispoiritus, how, how can I ask Hashem to help me? Isn't this something that's up to me to do? And Rav Nosanzal says, he quotes a Pasuk where the Pasuk says, Derech Emuna Bocharti. I chose the path of Emuna. Emuna means faith. And he explains there that again, there are two directions in Yiddishkeit there's Chachma, there's knowledge, wisdom, and there's Emuna. Emuna, faith, is related to the things that I don't understand or I cannot explain rationally in any way. And Chachma relates to Torah, Emuna relates to Tefillah. We know the Pasuk says about Moshe Rabbeinu, Vayehi Yodov Emuna. His hands were outstretched in a display of faith to Hashem, and the Targum says his hands were outstretched in Tefillah. So Emuna and Tefillah are synonymous. So Rav Nosanzal says, Derech Emuna Bocharti means that, that the Bechira, my free choice is to choose Emuna, to choose Tefillah, to choose this direction. That this, that this doesn't mean I'm not learning. I'm studying as much as I can. I'm learning as much as I can. And with my knowledge of Torah, I'm getting as much clarity as I can. But we know that there's a lot that I cannot understand right now. 
either because I'm not on the level, even in this world, a person is expected to be climbing every day, learning more and more. So whatever level I'm on now, I understand that there are things that I won't get to know until five years from now or ten years from now, or certain things that I will not get to know while I'm living in this world. So there I have to apply the Amuna. I have to apply the Amuna. But Rav Nosanzal says in, that, in, that, in those few paragraphs on Likuti Alochis, he makes it perfectly clear that again, we see in so many play, we in speaking to all the rabbis, all the tzaddik men, seeing in the Gemara, the Gemara in Brachas gives examples of the prayers that the rabbis used to say in addition to the Shemayin Esrei. Eloikai netzor meira. Hashem, please guard my tongue from speaking any evil. And many other prayers that make it perfectly clear that this is the Bechira, this is the most important Bechira, that a person has to choose whether they think they can go it alone, they think they can fight the Eight Sahara one-on-one, this angel, I'm a tough guy, I, I'm smart, I'm not going to let the Eight Sahara fool me or trick me, or a person realizes the famous Gemara, where the Gemara says, Bechol, and Rav Nassim quotes this there, Bechol yoim vayoim yitzroi shel adam that every single day, this angel, the Sahara, comes back new and strong, powerful against the person. And if Hashem is not intervening to help the person, the person cannot possibly win this battle. So the Gemara makes it perfectly clear that I need Hashem's help. I need divine assistance. How do I get that divine assistance? Ask for it. The Pesach says, Harchev picha va'amalehu. Hashem says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. The more a person asks and pleads with Hashem for divine assistance, the more the person can hope that Hashem will help the person. Hashem will give the person the strength that they need, the mental strength, and the, to, to overcome all of the wrong desires and to stand up to all the challenges that the Sahara challenges a person with. Any questions, please? The next paragraph, Toflam Ezayin, 437. Rabbein said that it's very good when a person is having this hispoidus, when a person is spending this quality time alone with Hashem, speaking to Hashem, for the person to say on a daily basis, Hashem, today I am starting my relationship with you. I'm making a new beginning in trying to come close to you, trying to become really connected to you. And Rabbi Nassau said a person should be prepared to make this new beginning every day, all the time, and sometimes multiple times in one day. Because everything follows the beginning. Everything goes according to the beginning. This is a very important factor. I've mentioned this in the past. We know when it comes to starting a car or any major machine, if the start isn't a good, healthy start, then the whole operation won't run properly. If a car doesn't start properly, or even if it'll drive, it's very likely that you won't necessarily make it to your destination. It'll clunk out at some point. A plane even more so. That the start is the most critical, the most important, which takes the most energy. If the start is a good, solid start, then generally you can hope that the, it'll, it'll continue properly. And Rabbi Nassau said that even the scientists and, and the philosophers, even they agree, they say that the beginning is 50% of anything. Making a good, healthy start is 50% of being assured that you're going to succeed in what you're trying to do. <clears throat> so Rabbi Nassau said, therefore, regardless, regardless, we'll see in a minute, either way, it pays to be making a new beginning all the time. Why? Because if, if the start that you made when you got up this morning, if it was a good start, 
And then if, let's say, after you daven chakras and you have your breakfast and you're about to start the day, in quotes, and you say, okay, now I'm making a new, brand new beginning in connecting Tashem, so it's even better. could be even better. And if chas v'shom, your first beginning, wasn't that good, then for sure you have to make a new beginning, a fresh start. To say I'm making a new beginning, clearing the registers, now I'm, I'm, I'm starting, I'm making a beginning. The next paragraph, 438, Tof Lamed Ches, says, Rabbein was once speaking to us and really elaborating, going at length about the incredible benefits of Hispoidus. And he was really praising how special this is and how beneficial this is to a person. And Rabbein said, I can't really impose on people to do this for more than an hour a day because it's, it's not right and it's, 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 it's not possible to make things too difficult for a person. We know the Gemara tells us that when the rabbis issued decrees certain times, which they felt were very important, if they saw that the tzibur, that the public couldn't handle it, they would remove the decree, even though they understood that it was beneficial, was necessary, but you have to be able to understand what people can handle and what they cannot handle. So Rabbi Nezal said, the truth is, people would need to be having hispoidus all day, to be spending the entire day in hispoidus. And Rabbi Nezal spoke a lot about this at the time. And Rabbi Nezal says, we heard beautiful, beautiful discussions and explanations about how special this is. Rabbi Nezal actually said that it's possible for a person with speech, through speech, to be able to cause a gun not to shoot. A person standing in front of a firing squad, and there's 30 people there waiting with guns, with bullets in it and everything, they're ready to shoot the person, and it's possible for a person through concentration, mental concentration and speech, to be able to block those guns from being able to fire. In Yiddish, Rabbein Zal said, Meken fashprechen abiks, it's possible to speak to a rifle and get it not to be not to shoot, because the dibur speech has tremendous power. We know that when the Torah defines the levels of creation, the four levels of creation, human beings are called medaber, and the, the Gemara says hachayim v'hamoves biyad haloshin, life and death are in the tongue. The tongue can define. A person's life or the opposite. The Medrash tells a story that it was a, a debate once among the different parts of the body and they were arguing about which one is the most important. And the tongue said, you all don't know what you're talking about. I'm the most important one. I'll prove it to you. And there was a soldier from the king's army standing nearby and the tongue suddenly started saying all kinds of insults to the soldier. The soldier turns around and sees the person and says, grabs him and throws him into jail. And now the, the body, the whole body is in jail, and the other parts of the body start saying, you're crazy, you idiot, what do you do this for? You got us into jail. Who knows what they're going to do to us now? They could kill her. And the tongue is smiling. Now you see, I showed everybody. I, I showed who's boss, who's king among all the organs of the body. Now get us out of here. And sure enough, the Midrash goes on to say how the tongue was able to convince them to be able to release them. This is mentioned as a moshel, but in reality, this is one of the things that's stressed most in Rabbein teachings, and we know that anything in Rabbein teachings is, is based on the Torah. People don't realize how important that everything is dibur. Everything is dibur. The Sifrei Kabbalah show us that the word Loshoin, Lamed Shin Vav Nun, is Bigimatria Shechina, with the Kolel. The word Safa, which means lips, the lips, Safa, Shin Pehe, is Bigimatria Shechina. The word Peh, mouth, is Bigimatria Elokim. The word Peh is Elokim. That this is one of the major, major centers of the, of the connection to Hashem. Person would say, but what do you talk about? The neshama's in the brain. The, isn't the brain the seat of the neshama? When we put on tefillah in the morning, we say, The answer is, it's true. 
but the brain doesn't communicate. The brain communicates through a person's mouth. There's a pasuk mipiv das usvuna. From a person's mouth, we get to know what's in their brain, what's on their mind, what they're thinking. Good thoughts, the whole communication of Torah is done through the mouth. Moshe Rabbeinu spoke to Yeshua, spoke to Kal Yisrael. Hashem spoke to the Jewish people on Har Sinai. So the Dibur has tremendous, tremendous power. And this is why Rabbeinu Zal said that a, a person's mouth should be like a mill that grounds, that grounds wheat, grains. It should constantly be working in Kedusha. That a, Jew, a Jew's most important mission in life is to be busy speaking words of Torah and Tefillah. We know that when it comes to Torah, the study of Torah, which a person would say, that's a brain thing, that's a mind. The, the Gemara says emphatically in Erevin, there's a passage, the Torah gives life. It doesn't say to those who think Torah, it says, to those who give the Torah forth. And the Gemara says, to those who speak words of Torah, they experience, they receive the life, the life energy of the Torah. You have to say the words, you have to speak. And regarding tefillah, the Pesach says, Hashem, I display my faith with my mouth, speaking words of tefillah. Rav Nosan here, understand this very, very well. Rabbein Azal spoke about this all day, stressing how important this avoid of Hispiridus is. Question in the chat, how is it possible to say that a person should do Hispiridus for the whole day if only they could handle it? When would this person learn Torah and perform mitzvahs? The answer is two bullets, two major bullets. Bullet number one, the Gemara says in Brachos that Rabbi Yochanan made a statement where he said, If only the Jews could daven all day. So that's a statement in the Gemara, number one. Number two, the Gemara says that the Hasidim Harishonim, the earlier righteous people, used to daven the three prayers of the day, Shachris, Minchamarev, were a minimum of a three-hour experience each. Because the Gemara says they would prepare for an hour, the davening would be an hour, and then it would take them an hour to come back down from the incredible high, the incredible spiritual high, and the deep connection that they made to Hashem during the tefillah. So that means they were spending nine hours a day on just Shachris, Minchamarev. So the Gemara asks, if that's the case, when did they learn, where, where was their Torah? And the Gemara says, because their tefillah was so significant, their Torah was blessed. What they could do in an hour of Torah could take another person a month or a year to learn. And we know this. We know from the examples of the great Sadiqim, the Arizal, for example, the Arizal was able to tell one of his students the famous story, Rabbi Avroham Halevi, Rabbi Avroham Bruchim. There's a street in my neighborhood that's called Rechov Bruchim that's named after this student of the Arizal, Rabbi Avroham Bruchim Halevi. He once came into the Arizal on Shabbos afternoon when the Arizal was taking a nap. The Arizal was up at midnight and he davened Vesikin. So Shabbos afternoon, he allowed himself to, to listen to and, and Rabbi Avram walked in and he saw the Arizal's lips moving. So he walked close to try to listen. And the Arizal woke up and looked at him and he said, Rabbi, I know you weren't sleeping. I know you were learning. Because the Arizal told his students that when he went to sleep, he was, his neshama would go up to heaven and he would be alert, awake. And he had a pass, he had a visa to all the different yeshivas in heaven. And he describes some of the yeshivas the yeshiva of Rabbi Akiva, the yeshiva of Basia Basparoi, he describes the different yeshivas, the yeshiva of the Malach Memtes, the, the Mesifta de Rekia, Mesifta de Ilah. So Rabbi Avram Alevi asked him, Rabbi, could you please share with me some of what you were learning just now? So the Arizal said, to be able to explain to you 
a little bit of the secrets that I just heard about the story of Bullock and Bilam would take me 80 years. Now, what does that mean? What does that... He's not talking to somebody from kindergarten. We're not talking about taking a three-year-old kid and trying to teach him Gemara. We're talking to Rabbi Avram, one of his Talmidim, who was on a level who knew Shas and Shulchan Aruch and was learning Kabbalah with the Arizal. And he told this student, it would take me 80 years to explain to you a little bit of what I just learned. So we see that there's a level of learning where a person could learn in their sleep. Sadiq and the Arizal were able to learn during their sleep what would take another person 80 years or 800 years to be able to learn. When a person looks at Rav Zal's forum, we just had Rav Zal's yard site was this past Friday, Asura Beteves. Rav Nachman Chirin, who was one of his students, writes an introduction to the book of Rav Zal's letters, Alam Letrufa. And he writes there that a person examining the life of this individual it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't add up. If you look just at what he wrote, that he wrote 4,000 pages of Likute Alochis. He's the one who wrote most of Rabbi Nachman's Torahs, the Likute Imran, and he's the one who, who printed it. The Sipurei Maisius, the other Sforim that he wrote, or the, that, that Rabbi Nachman wrote, that alone, it doesn't seem possible. There isn't enough time in the day to be able to do that. If you need a couple of minutes a day to eat and a couple of hours to sleep. It, and then we see the letters that he wrote, besides the Svan that he wrote, letters that he wrote to students, hundreds of letters. And then we're told that he was the one who built the shul in Uman. He had to travel. In those days, there was no traveling by car or by plane. He traveled by horse and buggy, traveling around Ukraine and Polish Ukraine and Russia, traveling around hundreds of kilometers in snow in different times to collect money, making multiple trips. Not one trip. Not he made one trip and he met a very rich guy who gave him the money. It was months, months of travel, constantly. And well, and he says, and then he had Sidorim and Tehillim. There was a large amount of Tehillim that he would say every day. And he wouldn't say it like we do, just reading quickly. He would put his whole energy, everything into, when he said a chapter of Tehillim, his whole life was in that chapter of Tehillim. And, and, and Hispoidus, spending hours on Hispoidus, it, it doesn't, how is it possible? The answer is that when a person has this kind of tefillah, this puts a bracha into a person's time that their Torah is in a different league completely. Now here again, I can only say from the little bit that I saw of my own rabbi, Rav Rosenfeld, Zechrein of Rocha, who in the, at the age of his, in his 20s, had completed Shas twice, was tested by many Rabbonim, had smicha yori yori yodin yodin, and in, in the smich, some of the smichas, it writes, Boki besifrei zoyar kodesh kisvei arizal, and, and a person who you could ask questions, he would tell you page and line in the Gemara, where this thing was from, Shulchan Aruch, he could tell you in a moment, give you a, a, a printout, a mental printout, of the different rabbis that say you're allowed to do this, the different rabbis that say you're not allowed to, and therefore exactly how the halacha comes out. And again, it was perfectly clear that this was something lemalam in hateva, that these are people who make a certain connection to Hashem that, that goes beyond typical standard physical means. We know, for example, the Ben Ishchai writes that a person learning on Shabbos one hour of learning on Shabbos has the value of a thousand hours learning during the week. What do you mean? How does that work? The answer is, it works. It works. It's a different league. We know that there's, there's drops. Sometimes you have concentration. You have homeopathic he healing or other things. A friend of mine I was just talking yesterday to a friend of mine who needs to use <clears throat> certain drops of cannabis for, for, to help sleeping medical cannabis. And he told me sometimes he miscalculates with a drop, one drop more, and he'll wake up four hours later. He, one drop. A drop can make such a difference? The answer is definitely yes, 100%. We know the Chidozal writes that there's a pasuk, Bechol derochecho doehu. Know Hashem 
and be attached to Hashem in all of your ways. Becholder means whether you're learning, whether you're davening, whether you're eating, whether you're sleeping, whether you're exercising, be connected. Do'ehu means know Hashem, meaning have Hashem on your mind. The word do'ehu also means an attachment, connection. The Torah says, Vayeda Odom eschavo ishtoi. Odom Orishan became attached to his wife Chava when they united, when they joined together. So das means a chibur. In fact, the Baal Shem Tov writes that the word do'ehu is da-hei-vav. Unite, unite the letter hey of Hashem's name, the last hey of Hashem's name, with the vav. Make that union between Hashem and the Shekhinah. How? Bechol derochecha. In everything that you do. So the Chidoi asks, how in the world is that possible? Imagine three, four hundred years ago, before there were telephones and before there were radios and before the, the Chido said there's so many distractions, how in the world is it possible for a person to have Hashem on their mind 24-7, to be connected to Hashem 24-7? So the Chido writes, I'll tell you how, the first letters of Bechol, Dorochecho, Doehu spell the word Bodod. A person who has his poidodus, a person who spends quality time alone with Hashem, alone with Hashem, one-on-one, that gives a person a connection, such a powerful connection, that for the rest of the day, whether they're learning, whether they're eating, whether they're sleeping, they're connected. The connection is so strong. This is poidodus. gives a person such a deep, strong connection to Hashem that the person is able to be connected to, to fulfill Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Summit, that I am always conscious of being in the presence of Hashem. I never disconnect completely, Chas Vishal. Any questions? The next paragraph, Tof Lametes 439, Rav Nosan says that on the last Rosh Hashanah, of Rabbeinazal's life, when Rabbeinazal was two weeks away from death, he had been sick with tuberculosis for three years. And that last Rosh Hashanah, he was coughing up, usually he would cough up thick phlegm. That last Rosh Hashanah, besides the phlegm, he was coughing up blood. Rabbeinazal came into his room before Rabbeinazal was, was supposed to speak. And he came in and he saw a whole basin full of blood that Rabbeinazal had coughed up. And Rabbeinazal said to him, should I give the shear? And Rabbeinazal said, chas v'shalom. Impossible. It's a nefoshas. You'll start talking and, and coughing blood. And Rabbeinazal argued and argued until he convinced Rabbeinazal to let him speak. But he'll position the chair in such a way where it won't be in the middle of the room, where if he has to get out suddenly, it'll be difficult, because there were five, six hundred people there at the time, that last Rosh Hashanah, but rather position the chair right at the entranceway to Rabbeinazal's private room, so that if Chas Vashon, something goes wrong, they can immediately bring him back into the private room. That was his condition, that last Rosh Hashanah. So Rabbeinazal writes that Rabbeinazal's grandson, Yisroel, Rabbi Yisroel, who was the son of Rabbeinazal's son-in-law, Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac from Kremenchuk, was there at the time. And Rabbeinazal's grandson was three, four years old at the time. And Rabbeinazal's sickness was, was very, very, very intense. He was going to pass away a few days later. And Rabbeinazal said to his grandson, Yisroel, please daven, to me, daven for me to Hashem that I should become healthy, I should be cured. So his grandson said to him, give me your watch and I'll daven for you. So Rabbeinazal said to the people that were there, look at that, look at that, he's already at Sadik. He's asking for a pigeon. He's saying I should give him something to daven, that he should daven for me. So the, 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 the Rabbeinazal gave him his watch. And the child, this child, three, four years old, took the watch, went into a corner and said, God, God, Hashem, Hashem, please let my grandfather get all better. And there were people standing around that started smiling like it's, it's so cute, it's so cute. Rabbi Nezal said to them, what's so cute? How else do you daven? How, how else does somebody daven to Hashem? That's how a person is supposed to speak to Hashem. 
with simplicity, like a small child, like a three, four-year-old asking for something, and like a person would speak to their best friend. Now these exact words that Rabbi Nezal said here, that a person should speak to Hashem like a child speaking to their daddy, or like a person speaks to their friend, there are some holy Jews who see this, and they say, you see how Breslov is treif, imagine chutzpah, to tell people to speak to Hashem like you're speaking to a friend. Could you imagine such a thing? The answer is you don't have to imagine. You just have to open a Gemara and look in the Gemara and Tainus and see how did Choyni Hama, how did religious Jews speak to Hashem? How did Eliezer, the servant of Avram, speak to Hashem? Did he speak to him in calculus? What did he speak to him in? He spoke in simple, simple words. Look throughout the Chumash, especially the Midrashim on the Chumash, and look throughout the Gemara. That's exactly how a person is supposed to speak to Hashem. And this was an important lesson for all the people around. People ask, exactly how should I have this? But what exactly? The answer is no exactlys. Just be honest. Just speak to Hashem honestly from your heart. Words coming from your heart with genuine honesty. The next paragraph, Tough Mem 440, Rabbi said that even, even when a person can't talk, a person would love, they have so much that they need to talk to Hashem about, but sometimes a person's heart is closed, and sometimes a person's mouth is closed, and, and it's as strange as it seems, the person can't, can't talk. So Rabbeinu Zal said, if a person just says, Hashem, Hashem, just repeating that again and again, even that is very good. And again, the person saying it, wanting to say more, but right now my mouth isn't opening, the words aren't coming to me, that alone is also very, very good. And Rabbeinu Zal said, that it's possible to be able to look at somebody and be able to tell whether the person has his spoiled de sonat, meaning that this really changes a person dramatically, this item of his spoiledus. It's so powerful. It's so powerful, a, a, a form of connecting to Hashem. Questions? The next paragraph. One of Rabbeinazal's students, Rabbeinazal said to him that he should have his spiritus once by day and once by night. This was an instruction given to a particular student. Does this apply to us? Not necessarily. If a person is able to have, if a person is able to get to a level of having an hour of his spiritus a day, whatever time of day they're doing it, it's excellent. It's, it's a certain level of shlemus. But Rav Nosan is pointing out that for this particular student, just like the, the, the Torah says, when it comes to learning Torah, a person is supposed to learn Torah by day and by night. And the Poiskim and the Mephoshim write a lot about this, about the importance of, of learning Torah by day and night and combining the day and night with Torah. Getting up early in the morning while it's still dark, and learning Torah or davening at the time when night is changing today, at Alois HaShachar, at, at Nates. Now, Rav Nosanzal continues and says, Rav once asked one of his students, and I believe this was Rav Shmuel Isaac, We'll see in a moment. Rabbein Azal asked him, Do you, are you in the habit of, of moaning and groaning to Hashem, of sighing, like when a person really feels that they're going through something very difficult and the person takes a real deep, deep breath. Oi! That oi, that deep sigh, which is called anocha or genucha. So Rabbein Azal asked him, are you in the habit of doing this as part of your hispoiridus? In other words, being so expressive and putting so much energy into, into talking to Hashem that you're mamish sighing in this deep way? And the student said, yes, yes, I do it. Then Rabbein Azal asked him, 
when you do it, do you do it from the depths of your heart? Is it really coming from the depths of your heart? And, and then Rabbi Nezal spoke up and said, you should know that when I do this, when I have this anocha, I'm doing it, the Gemara says, anocha shoiveres gufoi shalodam, that anocha breaks the person's body, meaning it takes away all your power, all your strength, all your energy. Just like the Gemara says that the Torah is mateshes gufoi shalodam, that the Torah weakens a person's body. That there's the neshama and the body. And they're on two opposite ends of a seesaw. When this one goes up, the other one goes down. The more this one goes, the more a person gives in to the body, the more they're weakening the neshama. The more a person energizes the neshama, the more the body becomes weaker in the process, in a sense. We know the Gemara tells the story of Reish Lakish, who was a leader of a, a band of, of robbers, thieves. He was incredibly powerful. The Gemara says he was standing on one side of a river and he saw Rabbi Yochanan on the other side of the river, Rabbi Yochanan with his students. And the Gemara says that the handsomeness of Rabbi Yochanan resembled the handsomeness of Yosef HaTzadik. <clears throat> the, the Torah tells us about Yosef HaTzadik that the women in Egypt would climb on the walls to be able to get a glimpse, to be able to see him. He had such an incredible handsomeness, a, a beauty of his face. And the Gemara says Rabbi Yochanan looked like that. So Reish Lakish jumped, in one jump, he jumped across the river to be able to speak to Rabbi Yochanan. And he spoke to him, and Rabbi Yochanan said to him, if you agree to come learn Torah with me, I'll, you'll, I'll, if you think I look handsome, I have a sister that's a whole different level of beauty. And if you'll come learn Torah with me, you'll be able to, you'll marry my sister. So the Gemara says Reish Lakish agreed. He agreed to... Sargon said he said he just has to go back to, to arrange things. He tried jumping back across the river. He couldn't do anymore. So he said, what, what happened? I looked. He said, because you accepted upon yourself the oil Torah, now your body isn't, doesn't have the same strength that it had before. So here Rabbi Nezal said that when I do this, when I do this Hanukha, if I'm holding my... If my hands are on the table at the time that I'm doing it, then afterwards... I can't even lift up my hand. I don't have enough energy to be able to lift up my hand. That's the degree of energy that I give out in this Sanocha. And I have to wait a little bit until my physical strength comes back. And again, this is one of the powerful things. We know the Torah says that when the Jews were in Mitzrayim, Vayayonchu, they sighed to Hashem, Mehavoidakosha. That was part of their tefillah. The Zoyar Kodesh mentions that there are ten different terms used in the Torah regarding tefillah. There's tsaoka, zaoka, anocha. These are all different components and different styles and different variations of tefillah, where depending on what a person is going through, sometimes when a person is really desperate, a person's in a situation where they realize that it's emergency, they really, really need Hashem's help, major crisis, and a person does this anocha, this deep sigh from within, from deep within. <coughs> Rabbi Nezal speaks about it here, he speaks about it in chapter 8 in Likut Imran, a major discussion on it, and in several other places in Likut Imran. person would say, but, but again, <coughs> this, this is a Breslov thing, nobody else talks about it. You're right, it is a Breslov thing because it's in the Chumash, it's in the Gemara, the Gemara does mention it. But again, the impression a person could get when they're learning that Gemara, that Anocha breaks a person's body, so then of course you're not allowed to do this, you shouldn't be doing this. Not realizing that on the contrary, this breaks the, the Yetzirah in the body, this breaks the negativity in the body, and it makes the body subservient to the Neshama. That's what it does. Rabbi Nezal continues that one time Rabbi Nezal grabbed one of his students, Rabbi Shmuel Isaac, by his clothing, like uh, by his chest. And Rabbi Nezal said to him that because of a little bit of blood that's here, you, in, in the left side of your heart, you're willing to forfeit this world and the next world? In Yiddish, Rabbi Nezal said, blit, over a little bit of blood, you're willing to forfeit this world and the next world? 
And Rabbeinu Sal said to him, Kretzemois, sigh it out, sigh it out. Meaning, he was referring to the Yet Sahara. The Gemara tells us that the Yet Sahara is found in the left side of the heart. There's a Pasuk in Kohelis, Lev Chacham Liyaminoi, Lev Ksil Ismoiloi. A smart person follows the right side of his heart, which means his good inclination, the Yetzer Toiv. A fool follows the inclination of the left side of the heart, which is the Sahara. So Rabbein Azal said to him, like jokingly a little, just because of a little blood in, in the left side of your heart, you're willing to forfeit your Olam Hazen, your Olam Haba? Krechts it out. Daven it out. Get rid of it through tefillah, through real tefillah. And, and, and thereby be able to defeat the negativity in the heart. Just like Dovid HaMelech says, Velibi cholal bekirbi. My heart, the word cholal has two translations. The word cholal means vacant. My heart is vacant. I vacated, I got rid of my Yetzirah completely. There's an empty space there. A cholal, that's one translation. And the word cholal also means a corpse that I succeeded in slaughtering my Yetzahara. Now, Rav Nosan Zal adds, Rav was once speaking to one of his students, Rabbi Yaakov Yosef, regarding serving Hashem. And Rav told him a beautiful moshel, a beautiful parable. He said that trying to serve Hashem properly could be compared to a king who had a son whom he loved very much, and he sent the son far away to study all types of wisdoms. The son came back very learned. He had studied all different kinds of wisdom, very knowledgeable in many different areas. One time, the king says to his son, I want you to take that that large boulder that's here, that was as big as a boulder that's used in a mill, that that they used to grind wheat and and grains, those things. I want you to take it and bring it to the upper floor of the palace. Get it to the upper floor of the palace. Rabbein Azal said, probably the sun couldn't do it. No way in the world. Not humanly possible to be able to do it. And the sun felt terrible that he couldn't carry out the wishes of his father, the king until the king spoke to him afterwards and explained to him, do you think I would, I would ask you to do something that, that you can't do, that's so difficult that you can't do it? Of course not. With, with all your chachma, there's no way in the world you could do this. My intention was for you to take a powerful sledgehammer, some type of a very powerful sledgehammer, and smash that stone into smaller rocks so that you could bring it up. You could take it up to the upper floor. And Rabbi Nassau continued and said, there's a Pasuk in, in Tehillim where the Pasuk says, Niso levaveinu el kapayim el keo Let us lift up our hearts into our hands and lift it up to Hashem. Bring our heart as an offering to Hashem. We know the, the, there's a Pasuk which the Gemara quotes. The Gemara says there's a Pasuk Zivchei Eloikim Ruach Nishbara. The sacrifices, Zivchei doesn't means not one sacrifice, but many sacrifices to Hashem are a broken heart. Ruach Nishbara. The Gemara says that if a Jew is Zeche to achieve breaking their heart for Hashem, they get credit as if they brought all the different types of sacrifices in the Beis HaMikdosh. Zivchei Elikim Ruach Nishbara. So Rabbein Azal said here, we have the Pasuk, Nisa levaveinu el kapayim, let us lift up our heart with our hands, el keel bashamayim, to Hashem in heaven. Rabbein Azal says, how can you lift up your heart? The Torah speaks about a lev ho'even, that there are people who are stone-hearted, their heart is a rock, and, and, and can't lift it up, can't lift it, can't connect it to, to spirituality, to Hashem, to ruchnius. So, so what does Hashem want us to do? He wants us to take a hammer and, and shatter the stone, and then we can lift it up. What is the hammer? What is the patish? The patish is speech. That the more a person speaks words of Torah and words of tefillah, that'll break the stone-heartedness, the lay for heaven, 
and turn it into a lave bosor, just like there's a Pasuk in Navi, where Hashem says there's going to come a time in the future, I will remove from you the heart of stone, and I'll replace it with the heart of flesh, a soft heart. Rav Zal says, understand this very, very well. Then he continues in this paragraph and says, Rabbi Nezal was once talking about the fact that a, a person has to spend a lot of time in saying Tehillim and other Tfilois and Hispoidus. And one of Rabbi Nezal's close students, Rebutal, said to Rabbi Nezal, How does a person get a heart? How does a person, we know that, that, that there's a Pasuk, the Yeshaya Novi says, Bisfasav Chibduni, Veliboy Rochak Mimeni. Excuse me for a moment. We were just speaking about this recently. Yes, the, the, the Pasuk says in Yeshaya Hanavi, Vayoymer Hashem, Hashem said, Ya'an kinigash ha'omazeh bepiv. Because this nation, the Jewish nation, approached me with their mouth, with their lips, they show respect to me, but but their heart isn't in it. It's not coming from the heart. And their, their respect for me is simply people doing something like, like a parrot. Like a person was told to do this, so I do this. I was told you have to daven, you have to daven shachris, so I go to shul, I say the words. I don't really know what it means, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I, I'm looking for the quick minion to get it over with quickly because I, I know it's something I have to do, I have to get it done with, you know that. Hashem says, Lochein hineni yosef lahafli hafle vafela. I'm going to smash this nation a wondrous, wondrous way. And their smart, their learned people are going to lose their knowledge. And, and Rashi HaKodesh says there, what is this Rashi says, one covering on top of another covering. That Hashem is going to hide himself. He's going to be hidden and more hidden. Because people are saying the words with their mouths, but they don't really, their heart isn't in it. They're not really, really putting their heart in it. They don't have real kavona when they're saying it. So the, the punishment is, that we are going to lose the, the real chachamim, the great tamid chachamim, the great tzaddikim. And Rashi says there, kosher silukon shel chachme Yisrael, kiflayim kechurben beis that losing the Talmidei Chacham and losing the Tzadikim is twice as great a loss as, as the, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. And what is this coming from? That lip service, we're paying lip service to Hashem and our heart isn't in it for real. So Rebutal said to Rabbi <coughs> how does a person get a heart? So Rabbi said to him, Tell me by which tzaddik, which tzaddik turned on your heart? Which tzaddik gave you a pill or something that activated your heart? Rabbi Nezal said the main thing is to talk, talk, talk a lot to Hashem. And if you'll talk a lot, your heart will open up. Your heart will open up automatically. We know there's a famous statement in the Gemara, Toiv me'at bekavona, me'har be'shaloi bekavona that if a person has a choice of saying one chapter of Tehillim with real concentration, which will take him three minutes or four minutes, or in those same three, four minutes, they could say two or three chapters if they say it more quickly without Kavana. So the Gemara says, better to say one and really put your heart into it than the three. That's one interpretation. I heard from Reb Nachman Burstein, Zechren Avracha, he said, and he quoted this from sources, it's very good to be able to have a little bit with kavana. How does a person get to that? How does a person get to have that little bit with, with, with kavana? 
If a person will daven 50 times, one of those 50 is going to be a grand slam. If a person doesn't swing a bat, they'll never hit a home run. But if a person swings many times, one time they're going to connect, and in tefillah, it definitely works that way. That if a person tries to be sincere, Rabbi Nezal warns not to try to cry, not to force yourself to cry or to try to cry, to try to speak to Hashem honestly, just honestly, emes, real, pure emes. Whose emes? My emes. I'm not trying to talk to Hashem like Rabbi so-and-so, trying to talk to Hashem to be myself, to be me with the highest degree of honesty. If a person will do that with sincerity, usually they will at some point in time, the heart will open up and the person will experience a connection to Hashem like they never imagined they could. Can we please explain again the concept of the broken vessel? <laughs> we need a few hours to do that. The answer is, this is a, a major discussion in the Sifre Kabbalah, but as to try to present it as simple as possible, we're told that at a certain point when Hashem decided to take His light and channel it into vessels, a vessel called Chachma, a vessel called Bina, a vessel called Chesed, the Arizal goes into this in detail and the other Sifrei Kabbalah, that because this light was infinite, it was an infinite light, to try to put it into something finite, the finite couldn't hold it, and it exploded, it shattered, it broke. Now the question is, didn't Hashem know that? Hashem knew everything. This was all part of Hashem's divine plan. All of this had to happen, all of this was orchestrated by Hashem, in order to get the results that Hashem wants to get, etc. But, but this is the description that we're given. Question in the chat. I know someone who is totally sincere in their hispoidus, so they say every single day, Ribanishan, I have nothing to say to you. You already know everything. What advice could we possibly say to help them? The answer is that, of course, this is one of the questions that people have about hispoidus. Why do I have to tell Hashem? Hashem knows everything. Hashem is Yodea Machshavos. Hashem knows my thoughts. Why in the world would I want to waste my time and Hashem's time telling him my problems? He knows all of my problems. The answer is you're right. He does know. But until you put out your cup, until you put out a vessel into which to receive Hashem's bracha, into which Hashem will not cannot give it to you. Again, it's a possible. Open your mouth wide, va'amalehu. That the, the speaking is every word that we speak is a vessel, is a cup into which Hashem can give the person the shefa that we need. I've mentioned recently in the past the word shefa, which means bounty, makes up the first letters of the verbs with which the Torah defines how Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov spoke to Hashem. By Avraham, it uses the word Amida. Amida means to stand in tefillah, which begins with an ayin. By Yitzchak Avinu, it uses the word Sicha. Vayetze Yitzchak losuach basode, that's a shin. And by Yaakov Avinu, it uses the term Pegia, Vayifka bamokoim. The first letters of Sicha, Pegia Amida, spell the word Shefa. That in order to be able to receive Shefa from Hashem, we must speak to Hashem. It requires tefillah. We should be zorichet to believe, to trust Rabbi Nezal, to trust Rabbi Nachman, that, that this tzaddik tried it, and he tried everything. I just recently at my Shabbos table, I told over a story that when Rabbi Nezal, after he got married at the age of 13, which was the norm at the time, and he stayed, he was living with his father-in-law, and his father-in-law had a home near a river, and Rabbi Nezal was doing his avoida secretly. He didn't want anyone to know what he was doing. And sometimes during the day, he'd run around with the other kids, run around outside without a jacket, running around by the river and looking at the fish. And, 
And his father-in-law was incredibly disappointed in him, terribly disappointed that the father-in-law had taken a great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, and he had given a major dowry, a major sum of money that his, his son-in-law should be able to sit and learn. And, and look at him, he sees, he's, a, he's, a, he's a clown, he's, he's running around with the kids, he's playing all day. And one of the students, a student of, of the Mizritcha Magad, I think, came by the house, and the father-in-law was, was pouring out his heart to the student, how disappointed he is, how terrible he feels that he gave his daughter to this, to this guy, who's, who he thought was a tzadeh, he thought was a Talmud Chacham, he thought he had tremendous potential. And this student of the, of the Mizritcha Shemagat heard this, he was, felt so terrible seeing the broken heart of, of Rabbi Nizal's father-in-law. So he saw Rabbi Nizal a few a short while later, and there was a Mishnayis available. So he opened up a, a, a Gemara, a Mishnayis. And he opened up the Mishnayis in Baba Kama. I just learned this Mishnah today with my grandson this morning, where the Mishnah says, HaKelev v'hagdi shekoftsu meiroish hagag that if a dog or a goat is on a roof of a house and jumps off the roof and jumps onto, onto dishes and breaks the dishes, is the owner of the dog responsible? Was he supposed to know that a dog could jump off a roof and, or not? The whole discussion in the morning. So this rabbi says to Rabbi Nezal, let's read the Mishnah, tell me what the Mishnah says. And Rabbi Nezal said, HaKelev v'hagdi shekoftsu marsh. A dog and a goat are dancing a march together. Instead of the word meiroish, he said marsh, which means a march. They're marching together, the dog and the goat. This rabbi heard this. He got so angry. Look at this idiot. Look at this Amoritz. That he smacked him in the face twice. He smacked Rabbeinazal twice in the face. Rabbeinazal didn't say anything. No response. Zero. And he yelled at him that this is your father-in-law paid such a, a large sum of nothing for you. This is this is what you are, and I'm already, you're a, a, an insult to your family, to the Baal Shem Tov. Rabbi Nezal didn't say anything. A few hours later, this rabbi left. He left to go back to his hat, wherever he was going. He's riding through the forest in his coach. And he hears crying, incredible, incredible crying, something he never heard before in his life. And he looks around to see where is this crying. And he sees somewhere in the distance in the forest, he sees somebody in a talus, wrapped in a talus. And he hears that that's where the crying is coming from. So he gets off the coach and he walks over and he hears crying, 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 saying Tehillim or, or speaking to Hashem in Yiddish. And so he's looking at this. He never saw anything like this in his life. He sees like a puddle of, of tears in front of this person. And he's standing there and waiting and waiting. Who knows how long he waited? A half hour, an hour? At the, and then Rabbi Nezal didn't know that he was there. Didn't, didn't know. Didn't, he took the talus off his head. And the person sees that this is the person he smacked in the face before twice. And he realizes that he was fooled. That he thought this was some kid who can't read Mishnayis. He's seeing this kid can daven a billion times better than he ever davened in his life. And he begged him to forgive him, please. I didn't know, I didn't realize. He, he realized that Rabbi Nezal played a game with him, that he was making believe that he can't read Mishnayis. So he said, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you on two conditions. Condition number one is that you never tell anybody what you saw here now. And the only reason we know about this story is because Rabbi Nezal passed away before this rabbi. So after Rabbi Nezal passed away, this rabbi was able to tell this story. The second thing is that you go back to my father-in-law and tell him that the, the descendants of the Baal Shem Tov don't need a babysitter. He, he doesn't have to worry whether I'm learning or that. He can be assured that I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And again, this tzaddik agreed 100% and went back. This kind of level of connecting to Hashem that, that Rabbi Nezal did, these are things we read stories, biographies of 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 tzaddikim, this godlador, that godlador, all great people, very, very good, big people. But when a person gets to know a little bit about Rabbeinazal, a person sees that this is another league, this is another league of connecting to Hashem, and a person would say, so, so what? Big deal, they're crying tears, who's, who's maybe learning, learning Mishnah's Balpeh is bigger? The answer is maybe yes, and maybe not.
Maybe not. There's a Gemara where the Gemara says that Rava, Rava is one of the most famous rabbis in Shas, in the whole Shas. Rava was a godladoer. Rava was so great that the Gemara says he heard a baskoil. Every Erev Yom Kippur, there was a voice from heaven that would come and say, Shalom Alecha Rava, Hashem greeting Rava. And the Gemara says that Rava once said that Rav Yehuda, there's a rabbi, Rav Yehuda, who, when, when there was an emergency, when there was no rain for a long time and the Jews needed rain, that he would, he would start taking off his shoe to prepare to daven and it would start pouring. And we daven and daven and nothing happens. And Rava said, during Rav Yehuda's time, the Rabbonim just learned Nezikin. They only knew Nezikin. Baba Kamba, Baba Metziah, but that... Uh, we have 13 yeshivas that are learning all six sections of Shas, that, that are Bikim. When Rav Yehuda would come to a question in Uktsin, in questions of Tumah and Tara, he would say, this is the Havayas of Rav and Shmuel, this is something that I don't really understand completely. And, and, and how could it be that he just starts getting ready to Davin, and immediately Hashem responds, and we scream and scream and we don't get an answer. This is Rava in the Gemara. And the Gemara says that Rava said, said From this we see that what Hashem wants the most is a heart. As the Pasuk says, Ki ha'adam People see with their eyes. They see the exterior. They see this person learned it. But, but Hashem sees what's in a person's heart. That's what's most important to, a, to Hashem when a person is zoichet to this slave basar. When a person is zoichet, the Gemara says, what's called serving Hashem with your heart? The Gemara says, that's tefillah. That's what really defines who a person is. And the Chidor writes in, in, in one of his forum, Leiv David, he writes, Hare Mefurash, we see clearly throughout Shas that Rava, despite the fact that he was a Godel Hador, and that Hashem would greet him, he'd hear a Baskoil every year of Yom Kippur. And in most arguments that Rava has with Abayah, the Halach is like Rava always. And despite that, he says that, Rav, this, despite that, because Rav Yehuda, because Rav Yehuda Hoysa Avoidosoi believe Sholem, because Rav Yehuda's Avoidas Hashem was with a complete heart, because of that, he was answered immediately, even before he started davening. And they, the other rabbis, their tefillah isn't necessarily answered. Again, this is the chidah, this is not Rabbi Nachman writing. And again, we know there's a pasuk, terem nikro vaniene, that there are some people who are on a madrego where before they call out to Hashem, Hashem already responds to them. Turn there are other people who only after they're speaking to Hashem for a while, Hashem listens to what they have to say. There's a pasuk, the Arizal says, Korov Hashem lechol Korov. Hashem is close to all those that call out to Him. Lechol asher yikru'uhu v'emes. And He's close to those who will call out to Him v'emes. The Arizal says, make up your mind, which is it? Is He close to people who call out to Him? Or to those who call out to Him v'emes? The Arizal says, take a look. This is Loshen Hove, this is Loshen Osid. A- anyone who, dav- who cra- calls out Hashem makes a connection to Hashem. But those who call out Hashem with emes, those who have that high level of emes, their, their heart is in it, then it's Lechoil Asher Yikro'uhu. Hashem knows that tomorrow this person is going to be calling out to me with emes. I respond to him today, even before even before he calls out to me, I respond to him. To take this advice seriously and to devote quality time in the day for his for talking to Hashem, really opening up our hearts to Hashem. And and in that to see a complete and final goal for Claudius Ramatashim. Bimhera Bemenu, Amen Amen.